0: Hey Robbie Michaels, it's your old buddy Boot show. and we are on the road once again. At Mount Wellington. I think I mentioned in a previous one of these how Auckland has a lot of mounts. Mount Wellington. Mount Eden. Mount Roskill. Mount Smart Stadium. And it's not that we have any actual snow-capped mountains or anything in the uh, region. In fact, it's super rare for it to snow in Auckland. I think it's snowed here maybe twice in the last 20 years. And you know, even then it's not real snow. But, we do have mountains. Have things called melt anyway. Now, volcanic cones, Robbie! Volcanic cones! Because obviously, I mean, you already know what I'm just about to say, but I'll say it anyway. We live on the Pacific Rim, the Rim of Fire. One of our biggest, uh, one of our main tourist attractions, actually, people come here and visit our uh, volcanic regions. There are some regions that are uh, even more volcanic than Auckland. Auckland's mostly, in fact, entirely dormant, I think. We don't have any active volcanic activity in Auckland. But, uh, you head a bit south, you head down to, to uh, two or three hours south. Stuff heading into the active volcanic zones, Rotorua, Taupo. Taupo is easy to find because you just look at the map of the North Island and there's a massive lake in the center of it. A crater lake, by the way. A volcanic crater. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, you can, uh, you can see boiling mud, boiling geysers, uh, boiling water in this hot pools. You can take take a dip in some hot pools. So uh if you guys ever come on down here, you can see some volcanic malarkey. Not that there's any shortage of volcanic malarkey in the US of course. You guys have got yellowstone, holy mamulches yellowstone! Isn't that crazy? So wasn't it like a... Yeah, isn't it a caldera or something? Caldera? Is that the right word for it? I'm not a geologist, but uh... Super volcano, right? Yellowstone. been terrifying. I've uh... I'm just pulling up to some shops. Even though it's a Friday morning, it is hosing down. Ah. Uh, so I'm not working because I've only got outside work at the moment. I'm still uh, carpentering, even though I'm a uh, a scientist. <laughs> I'm not really a scientist. You can't. I mean, even if you've got a science degree, you're not a scientist until someone's paying you to do science. I think we, I think we can all agree on that. We don't need to get all self-aggrandizing just yet. But uh, my work at the moment is all inside work, and so. I'm taking this opportunity, being rained off this morning, on my niece Amelie's birthday, to drop in at the uh, the, uh, Sylvia Park shopping center, I'm gonna buy her a book. I always buy my nieces and nephews books. Ever since forever, I bought them books. enough toys and video games. Actually, I bought my nephew uh, a video game for his recent birthday, turning nine. So, no, ten. Holy shit. (laughs) They grow up so fast. So, uh, yeah, I don't have a hundred percent of it. usually get them books. But what that means is I want to take a break for uh, zero seconds and I will catch you. Oh look at that. That song just finished. Right on the button. Usually sounds better if you uh, don't have a song fading out. Anyway, who cares? Because this is a zero-second break, Robbie Michaels. So I will see you right... I won't see you. I'll talk to you right... No, now Who? Told you, Robbie. Just like that. I am back, and I've got books for my niece, who's turning 15 today. 15? She's just a baby, though, Robbie. How can she be 15? This is what you do when you uh, start getting old, bro. You start talking about how time flies, about how kids grow up so fast. But, uh, it is bonkers to think of my niece, Amelie. Being 15? What the? She's actually my first niece slash nephew. Did I say that before the break? I can't remember. So it's also the anniversary of the day I became an uncle. The day I became Uncle Ben. And I've bought Two books for her. In the past, I've always bought her uh, fiction. Age-appropriate fiction, some might say. Last couple years, YA novels. Before that, other books for young girls. This time, Guns, Germs, and Steel by Jared Diamond one of my favourite books of all time and also Outliers by uh, Malcolm Gladwell so are those the books you buy a 15 year old girl? fucking A they are she's smart enough to read these books He's important enough to read these important books. But uh, also, like I gave my nephew, 13 year old nephew, he just turned 13 about a month ago. I gave him Sapiens by Yuval Noah Harari. Genius book about What makes humans humans? Or what made sapiens sapiens? How we got to where we are, basically. I don't know if you've heard of it. I think I mentioned that I am also reading it. Which is uh, one of the reasons I bought it for him. And when I gave it to him, I said, uh, You know, I'm pretty sure you're smart enough to get this. And I'm sure you're smart enough to work out the bits that you don't get immediately. but..." If this is not, if you're not quite at this level yet, don't worry about it. Tell me, for one thing, you don't need to pretend that just because it's a gift, you don't need to pretend it's your favorite book and you're loving it. If you don't love it, if it's not grabbing you, tell me. I'm actually his godfather, my nephew Travis, who was the one whose games that I filmed. I'm pretty sure I mentioned that in a recent episode. Uh, yeah, I'm his godfather. He's my godson. And again, I'm agnostic. Uh, his dad's agnostic. Pretty sure his mum is too. But, you know, traditions and what have you. He got uh, Christian, christened, and I'm his godfather. I'm actually godfather to two of my nephews. My nephew Lucas as well. Anyway, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about how when I give him the present, when I gave him the present a month ago, I said, listen, you don't pretend. If you have to pretend with the other aunts and uncles and grandma and whoever else gives you books, or any sort of present, if you have to pretend you like it to them, do what you gotta do. For me, you tell me if you're not into it. Because I'm trying to get to know you, kid. And also I want you to know you can always be honest with me. So I say the same the same thing to Amelie when I give her uh, these books. They might not sound like a typical book. typical books, typical books to give to a fifteen-year-old girl, but these are the books I'm giving her. Super You know, uh, in one of the recent episodes, Robbie, you said <laughs> you said that. Don't worry about. Changing your accent or trying to enunciate more clearly or whatever. Just talk how you talk. And, uh, then later in that same episode, <laughs> in the end you said, you said some word. I think it was monsters. And I think you were, it was a, it was a, I can't remember what it was. You didn't understand some word. <laughs> Something you know, Robbie, that's why I'm trying to enunciate more clearly. Because the whole point of this is to communicate. Uh, in future, Future. See, how I put the R on there. See? If there are any, if there's anything I say that you don't uh, get the details of if you don't get it because of my uh, thick old accent. Just mark down the time code, man, and I'll um, listen back to it and clarify it. Because I am still going to try and enunciate more clearly for several reasons. One. Uh, Professionally, it's really a good idea to be uh, as well understood as possible, to be able to communicate. I mean, communication is everything, in personal life, in professional life, and, um, you know, who knows? Hopefully, when I do, uh, if slash when I do set up a career, doing something more sciencey, There might be an international component to it. I might end up having to communicate with some non-Kiwis. I'm going to want them to understand me. And actually, about, I think I mentioned that my brother has a Mexican girlfriend. When I first, uh, (laughs) she didn't say this at first, but after we'd gotten to know each other a few months, she said, you know, (laughs) we were talking about accents, and she said, I could understand Scott just fine, where's my brother that she's with, and uh, Dion, (laughs) and your parents, but you were a bit harder to understand at first. She said to me, and um, that goes with the story that I told. I'm pretty sure I've also told this story about how I had a girlfriend in my late teens who had who had English family. Both of her parents were English, and her cousins came over and said, you know. We understand most Kiwis pretty well, but, Ben, we sometimes don't quite understand you. So, this is a thing, Robbie, that, uh... There are a lot of good reasons for me to try to enunciate more clearly. And, obviously, I'll slip out of it sometimes, and when I do, you mark down the timestamp, and I'll listen back. Holy shit! You know, just before the break, I was talking about how we have... Uh, God damn, I wish I was shooting video right now. How uh, we have our uh, volcanic cones around Auckland. None of which are. They're just hills. Let's be, let us be—let me be clear. They're called Mount Roskill, Mount Eden, etc. But they are just hills. They're volcanic cones that spewed out of the earth once upon a time but they are just hills. Just to be clear, we're not talking about anything grand here. We're talking about (laughs) mountains. Mountains you could walk up in uh, about 10 minutes. 10, 15 minutes, so we're, we're not talking about anything too crazy. Rangitoto, which is out in the Gulf, out in the Hauraki Gulf. Rangitoto takes a bit longer to climb up. That's an island out in the Gulf there, also a volcanic a volcanically formed island but generally we're talking about very modest looking hills that are called Mount something just because that's what they're called but uh, just back then when I exclaimed holy mamotious that was because there is uh, some crazy weather going on today in Oakland some awesome weather where there is black sky one half of the sky and blue sky in the other half it's awesome I love it but uh, I just came I was just rolling down the hill and I looked across and there was one of the mountains Mangare Mountain against a black like a real deep grey sky the top of Mangare Mountain green as it is it's green with a few trees bathed in sunlight it looked awesome I should uh, I would have stopped over to stopped over stopped and pulled over to take a photo but by the time I pulled over now it's in shadow again anyway I love you I love these skies I mean I'm I'm in sunlight right now I'm in a sunbeam but right up ahead of me deep gray deep black sky and uh, this is obviously not a phenomenon peculiar to Auckland in fact I used to get the same thing in um, Brazil In Pará, where there would be, uh, I mean, it's the tropics, right? So what you get is, even on a sunny day, even in the summer, on a sunny day, you'll have blue skies all day, and then two, three in the afternoon, on average, black skies, thunderstorms, thunder and lightning. I think uh, for a while at the time, The Amazon was subject to the most lightning strikes per square kilometer per minute of anywhere in the world. It's an electrical place, brother. I mean, you know how much, consider how much water is doing the rounds in the Amazon, all those rivers in that rainforest. It's called the rainforest for a reason. But it would be, I would be uh, sitting on the island, for example, with clear skies over the top of us and the city, which uh, is not too far away, maybe a 20, 25-minute boat ride away, and visible from the island in the distance, it would be hosing down over the city, completely black, and lightning strikes hitting the city, while we would be sitting on the island, having a beer, or a glass of... Uh, Antarctica, which is this, uh, which is a soft drink, a guarana soft drink they have up there. You know what guarana is, Robbie? I'm sure you know what guarana is. And uh, yeah, a beautiful show of nature, of the force of nature. Anyway, now I'm, now I'm, uh, now I'm getting hosed on. I don't know if you can hear it, but that's what's happening. But you don't listen to your old buddy Butcher for no weather reports, Robbie. Ah, uh, what were we talking about? The books that i bought for my uh, niece? I think we moved on from that. Have you read Guns, Germs and Steel, Robbie? That's a, there's a, uh, another question. I know you say you mostly read books about astronomy, but you said you read books about science, science and astronomy. Guns, Germs and Steel by Jared Diamond. It's essentially a history book but uh, with a, from a scientific, I mean, it's, geolo- it's ge- geography, really. It's a geography book about how, about the reasons certain parts of the world developed more uh, advanced technologies faster than other regions of the world and why that might be How much of that is due to geography and biogeography? Much less to do with ethnicity and race. Much more to do with the species available to the people in that region. Species of plants and animals. And more specifically, the domesticability of them. Is that the right word? Some animals are easier to domesticate than others, some plants are easier to domesticate than others. If you grew up in a region where there is a higher proportion of easier, more easily domesticable plants and animals, your agrarian society is going to flourish. It's gonna give you more time, more free time. More free time means more time to sit around and think and the rest, as they say, is history. Jared Diamond, Guns, Germs and Steel. I recommend it highly, Robbie. It's been a few years since I read it, but uh, maybe four or five years. But I consider it an essential book. Essential! For anyone who wants, wants to understand how the world, world worked and how the world came to be. I can hardly speak English. And how I am trying to recommend a book as if I have a brain in my head. You know what I'm saying, Robbie. You're easily smart enough to understand what I'm trying to say. But, uh... Yeah, coming back to... That's what I was... It was about uh, trying to enunciate more clearly. I think I made that point. I think you get it. Uh, Another thing that came up was was, uh, learning other languages, and... You putting down your own um, non-efforts in that area to being an arrogant American. Um, Man, it is, (laughs) it's not an American thing, it's an English speaking thing. It's the same in New Zealand. The vast, vast majority of New Zealanders speak only one language. Even though we have three official languages, uh, English, Māori and sign language. Is sign language an official language? I might need to look that up, but I think sign language, Māori and English are the three official languages of New Zealand, but the vast majority of New Zealanders speak only one language because English is our first language, and English is the international language of business. That's the reason, that's a huge part of the reason, you know, you go to Holland, Sweden, Denmark, Germany, even France. Almost everyone speaks English because they have to, because it's the international language of business. You know, because the English Empire is the greatest empire the world has ever known. So that uh, that behooved other nations to pick up English as well. And um, if you ever go to uh, France, for example, it really is. Uh, You'll have a much better time if you learn basic French phrases and at least make an effort to speak French and then you'll find that French people will be happier, much happier to speak to you in English once you show them the respect of uh, trying to learn the basic phrases. Same with uh, a- anywhere basically, trying to learn a few basic phrases. This is uh, actually a something that um, your France people. A lot of Americans, you'll hear from them coming back saying, not just Americans, English as well. Fr- the French are arrogant and they won't speak English. You know, they refuse to speak English. If you don't speak English, they won't try. I mean, if you don't try and speak French, they won't try. But you know, <laughs> who's really arrogant? If you're going to their country and not trying to learn the basic phrases, and there's only a few phrases, learn how to say hello, how to ask where to get somewhere, where to find something, how to ask for a beer, you know, the basic things. And they will, you do them that courtesy; they do the courtesy back. So, this idea and this idea of—I uh, know it's—I um, mean, it's a good kind of humility to have. What you're saying, blaming it on, blaming yourself for being an arrogant American for uh, whatever perceived uh, shortcomings you find in yourself. Just the fact that you can find shortcomings in yourself means that you're not too arrogant. for your own good at least and um, yeah most English speaking people don't have to speak other languages and most never will and I mean you don't have to I think there is there are uh, plentiful studies that say that it actually the pathways that it opens in your brain when you learn another language one it helps you learn other languages quicker once you learn how to learn a language I mean that's that's a big part of it You learn how to learn the other language. The tricks you pick up along the way. One of my, one of the main ones for me was uh, the song. I think when I did that episode uh, where I talked about all this, I started off with some Pagogi. Some zeca pagodinho, Pagogi. Because when I was there, one of the things that really helped me was, am I repeating myself, Robbie? I would go into the city and, um, and uh, buy uh, pirated CDs from, <laughs> from the, uh, off the sidewalk. You know, there's a no shortage of pirated CDs and DVDs. And I would head back to uh, the office, Amazon Fruits office in the city, and I was allowed to use the computers there. And I would download the lyrics and print them out. And then when I was back on the island, I'd sit there and translate the lyrics. And, uh, I mean, what is a good, what is music good for? It's good for sticking in your head. So, I mean, this ties into our thing that we, our regular thing about the thing that we have in common where we don't pay a whole lot of attention to lyrics. Lyrics aren't uh, something we prioritize when it comes to uh, music. Uh, but when it came to uh, learning Portuguese, I learned. <laughs> I, might, I might, know, might know more Portuguese lyrics than English lyrics. That's probably an exaggeration, but. You know, when a, when a song's got a good hook, when it's got melodies, it sticks in your head. What do you want when you're learning a new language? You want it to stick in your head. So it all goes together. I don't know why I'm saying this. I know you're not trying to learn any new languages. But uh, it's, how, it's how we teach kids English. A lot of kids, uh, are, you know, we learn the alphabet with a song. It all makes sense. I don't know why uh, I went on this little tangent, but uh, I think what I was getting at was, I understand why uh, you would beat yourself up with the arrogant American thing, but it's, it's just English speakers in general. We don't, there is no impetus for us to learn another language. So we don't, and really one of the reasons that I wanted to, and I don't know how common this is for uh, English speakers who do learn another language, it goes back to that thing of our cinematic heroes, Robbie. The other thing that we have in common, how much we love movies. And, again, hopefully I'm not repeating myself, but one of the things that's so badass about Han Solo and Indiana Jones James Bond, John Wick, to choose a recent example. Consider how John Wick, in the very, in the first movie, I'm sure you've seen them. If you haven't, this is not really a spoiler, but he it's revealed that he can speak Russian. He's very fluent in Russian, and that tells you something about that character. Right? Just the just the fact that they show us, they show, don't tell us the fact that he understands Russian that tells us that he's comfortable he's comfortable moving in moving amongst Russian the Russian world the world of the Russian mafia a dangerous world but another world a world that's different to his own so it tells us I mean it tells us that he's comfortable moving in worlds that aren't their own. And what is one of the coolest things about Han Solo? For me, and about James Bond, and about Indy, it's how part of them, part of their adventurousness, part of the adventurousness of those characters, is their ability, not just to be able to shoot, not just their fisty cuffs, not just whether they can fly a spaceship real good, but the fact that they can move into dangerous worlds and be somewhat comfortable in them. To me, that is one of the most badass things about those guys. Maybe just one slight level below being able to fight, or being able to shoot, or fly spaceships. Right, right, just about up there. The fact that Han Solo can have that conversation with the Greedo. He understands that language. He can talk to Chewie in that other language. He can understand other languages. And obviously he doesn't, well, he doesn't solo. He speaks uh, Wookie. It's not that he can speak it, it's that he can understand it. James Bond is the same. Uh, John Wick, if you're a hero who can speak another language, you're even more badass to me. And that's how it always was from being a kid. Being able to move in some sort of comfort in dangerous worlds, is one of the most badass things a badass can do. So, yeah, that was one of the reasons I was driven to learn Portuguese, even though I didn't need to. It wasn't about, it's not about being more intelligent, it's not about being more, less arrogant, for example. It's just about being inspired by, by cinema. I'm pretty sure I just repeated some shit I've said before. I don't know. Hopefully I didn't, if I did, hopefully I didn't bore the shit out of you, Robbie. But, uh... But, uh, that's what, yeah, that's why that was a huge part of the impetus. That, and it's why, it's one of the reasons like it was a huge deal for me to get to the stage where I could... Go into the city. Go into Belém. Get a boat into Belém. And when I first went in there, I would go with one of the locals, one of the people from the island, or one of the people from the office in the city. I would always have an escort, partly because they needed to teach me whether where not to go. Because uh, you know, I'm sure you know enough know, enough about the Brazil to know that it's a dangerous country. It's even more dangerous now than it was when I was there. But I mean. You have seen uh, seen Sadaji de Dios, right Rob? You've seen City of God. I'm sure you have. I'm sure a cinephile like you has seen City of God. One of the main parts of that story is, I mean, it's a story about kids and gangs, about little kids with guns. And Belém is an even poorer city than uh, Rio de Janeiro. (laughs) Rio de Janeiro. And uh, Belén has its own favelas. It has, um, one of my, one of the people that I met there told me he'd been held up three times. It was a young guy who lived in the city. Not one of the uh, Heberinos from the island, but a guy who lived in the city. He told me on his way uh, home from school or to school, three times he'd been held up by kids with uh, guns. And this thing was, everyone, and everyone told me this. I knew this before I got there. If you get held up, you just give them everything you've got. Don't even, don't even dream about arguing with them. One, because they're doing it because they've got nothing. So give them whatever you've got. This is also why I never went into the city with a camera. Never went into the city with anything I couldn't afford to lose, you know. I went in with a bit of, I basically went in with my wallet. Definitely never went in with my passport or anything like that. Just my wallet down the front of my underpants. <laughs> never in an actual pocket because one of the things they would do is... Um, and I, ha- I got padded, man. I got patted down. There would be times when I was in the city in a big crowd and I found my ass getting padded. I found my front pockets get padded. And when you're in the throng, by the time you turn around, you're, uh, you know, it's too late and what are you going to do anyway? Even if you do see the pickpocket, you don't go after them. One of the uh, the stories that I was told by the by the people who, um, John, who was my contact in New Zealand. I mean, have I told this before? I'll keep it real short. I decided I wanted to go to Brazil. I decided I wanted to do volunteer work. I sent an email to the New Zealand embassy in Wellington and said, I'm a carpenter, I'm going to Brazil. If you know of any projects that could use a carpenter for a couple of months, let me know, hook me up. They put me in touch with this company, New Fruits of the Amazon, New Zealand company, two two Kiwis and a Brit, had uh, set up this company to export asai, or to import asai. But that's not right. They were set up to export açai from Brazil, and they would export it to the U.S. to internationally, right? And this is back in 2007. Açai was becoming this superfood. was becoming renowned for becoming renowned for being this superfood, full of antioxidants, getting big on the health uh, among health nuts, and um, they. We had a contract with a company called Amazon Fruit. Amazon Fruit was a Brazilian company run by Ben-Hur, that owned the plantation that I worked on. And so they put me in touch with Amazon Fruit. Ben-Hur was trying to build the school. Boom. The rest is history. And John from New Fruits of the Amazon, the Kiwi, he had lived in the south of Brazil and worked in forestry for uh, a number of years before leaving, coming back to New Zealand to start a family. Or to bring up his family here in New Zealand, wanted them educated in New Zealand. And he told me that when he and his two business partners, another guy, a Maori guy actually, Kiwi, and a British girl who was a partner of the Maori guy, boyfriend, a uh, girlfriend, they were in Berlin. they went up to Belang. They had never been in the Amazon before. They had all experienced the south of Brazil. Uh, Santa Catarina, that sort of area, Paraná. You know, Curitiba, where uh, Shogun and Vandalay and Anderson are all from. Down there. More, much more European part of Brazil. Still dangerous, but um, not the same as, as the Amazon. And he said that uh, the first day they were there, they went to a. Uh, Three of them went to a money machine, ATM, you know, holding the wall, and withdrew some money and then were walking around the city and one of them, the uh, Māori guy, well-educated, really well-educated dude, had a camera and was taking photos like a tourist would, you know, and you can already tell where this is going. You already know where it's going, right? They uh, were walking through a sort of crowded area, through a market. And before John, and all of a sudden John tells me, he turned around, he says, where is, I can't even remember the other guy's name, Mark. He's like, where is Mark? All of a sudden he realized that Mark wasn't with him. The three of them had been together. He's like, where the hell is Mark? He turns around, Mark is walking back towards him. Mark doesn't have his camera now. John asked Mark, what, what did you do with your camera? <laughs> Mark says, and while we were walking along, this little crowd of uh, kids, like six or seven kids, sort of worked their way in between. Before Mark knew what was happening, he had been sort of shepherded away, shepherded off to the side, and pushed up against a, a wall by these kids. Um, knife and a gun and just while they were st- uh, st- <laughs> while they were and within a cu- about 20 seconds that pickpocketed him taking his camera less than 20 seconds boom just like that and then ma- like I said John didn't, re- didn't even see it happen it happened that quick and they just melted back into the crowd just melted away and um, just like that and so <laughs> I mean, you hear one story like that, that's all you need to hear. And obviously you've, I mean, I don't know if you've ever been to Mexico, you've probably heard similar stories. And there are just things, there are just ways to be streetwise in places like that. One of them is, don't walk around with a camera. Well, The other thing was, don't act like a tourist. And uh, it was kind of ironic that it was Mark that got done over because he looked, he's a brown fella. And uh most of the people, most of the faces up there in Berlin, a ton of brown people. And you sort of stand out more if you're white. And so that was the piece piece of advice that was given to me it was uh, <laughs> you're gonna be a white boy walking around in Berlin, don't act like you're a tourist. You know, there, are, there are plenty of white people there too and you can look like a local if you just act enough like a local and so I would sometimes have a um, backpack once or twice but general not even that not even a backpack and um, this car park is chocker I'm just about to just about to stop again in a minute Robbie so there'll be another zero second break as I uh yeah. I'm trying to maneuver myself into... It's like gridlock in a friggin' parking lot. Um. (laughs) Actually, I'm just gonna park here. These people don't know what the hell they're doing. It's just starting to get irritating. Anyway, somehow we ended up talking about Brazil again. while listening to African music. Or actually, this is New York music. It's African music made by a New York band. anti ballas Yeah, this is, uh, um... I know this is probably not your speed either, Robbie, but this is, uh... You were talking about instrumental music. anti T I B A-N-T-I-B-A-L-A-S. You can dig it. It's, uh... It's not, um... Uh, What's her name? Elise. It's not Elise Trow. But, you know. It's, uh, you know, this also was sort of like... uh, This could have been on the Cowboy Bebop soundtrack. Love that soundtrack. Love that soundtrack. My favorite soundtrack of any TV show ever. Be it uh, animated, be it non-animated, Cowboy Bebop soundtrack super fun Um, was I halfway through telling that story yeah I never I got like I said I got patted down while I was walking through Berlin sometimes but that's right the point I was trying to make was I got to the stage where my Portuguese was was at a good enough level where I was I would just uh, get on a bus, go into the city. I knew my way around the city well enough. Uh, I knew the areas sort of not to go into. And then it's not hard to tell what areas not to go into either. I mean, a favela looks different than a regular street, but um, I mean, the whole city was was dangerous really. They were like the city, the most famous uh, market is called the Vero Pezzo. Really awesome market, but it's like, I mean, this is sort of a cultural minefield to talk about because there is such a thing as, what do they call it? There is a, there is a danger for people like us from uh, more privileged uh, countries. There is a danger of fetishizing poverty fetishizing slums and favelas and that sort of thing because because there is a there is a, a vitality to them because they're because they are the opposite of they're the opposite of the the homogenized state of a lot of You know more civilized cultures where everything's a chain store and everything's from ikea and you know everything's from <laughs> apple to come back to that for a sec you know the opposite people that live in that sort of poverty they have to they are forced to be innovative with basic materials and there is a With well, yeah, very limited resources. They're forced to be innovative. They're also... Even even saying they is a... <laughs> I know you're not the person to worry... About, that anyone would have to worry about. Um, these sort of cultural... Uh, this sort of cultural minefield stuff. You're not the sort of... You're not going to call me up... Uh, you're not going to call me out if I step on any of, any of these cultural landmines. But it is something that it is something to be aware of, to be respectful of, that um, when I talk about the thrill of going into a city like Berlin, to go into these dangerous places, it's, it's, um, it's rude in a way to think of it in that way because the people who live there don't get to choose like I did. I get to choose to fly back out again after six months. It's there every day. You know, when we visit those these things in cinema, when we watch *Slumdog Millionaire* or *Watch Han Solo* go into Moss Eisley Cantina, or you know, you know what I'm talking about. This was this has gotten uh, this has gotten heavier than it was supposed to. But uh, it's not supposed to be heavy. I'm just trying to, uh, I guess, get back to what I was, get back to the original. Spur for this uh, thread of the conversation, which was why I was driven to learn another language Because I think it's cool when James Bond and Han Solo and Indiana Jones go into these dangerous places And I wanted to uh, Be able to do something like that I wanted to be able to go into Berlin a city like Berlin a Dangerous alien place I mean, I don't really, I don't even really want to overstate how dangerous it is. You know, it's more dangerous than regular New Zealand or American city, even Detroit, even uh, Baltimore but like I said I went I never had a gun in my face the whole time I was there. The, I mean, The streets uh, have paramilitary police, I mean they have military, literal military police so you're never too far away from guns and it's not open carry like uh, Texas is so you don't see guns on people's hips, you know, but you see guns everywhere. When you're you're from New Zealand just seeing that is an eye-opener. You know, from where you're from seeing a snake or seeing a gun is not as big a deal as when you're from New Zealand. So that was uh... to walk around watching these dudes with semi-automatics. yeah, that was an eye-opener for a kiwi kid but being able to here i'm making the same saying the same thing that i've said 20 times already right it came it comes back to being inspired by cinema to get out into the real world and yeah i don't know <laughs> there's no more to say about it Robbie. i'm going in circles <laughs> Let's just say I wanted to uh, be more Indiana Jones, to be more James Bond, to be more John Wick, to be more Han Solo. So, I'm uh, going back into some more shops. And then, after zero seconds, I'll see you on the flip side, Robbie Michaels. Right. No, 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 now. All right, Robbie, that's enough of me bragging about how I'm basically Indiana Jones. Let's get back to more of these, more of these points. Jamie Lannister, I'm with you. I was, I was Team Lion basically all the way through that show. Cersei, Tywin, and Jaime, uh, and Joffrey. They were probably in my top five characters, are they? They're definitely in my top ten. I fucking loved Joffrey. Pardon. Sorry for saying fuck, Robbie. But I fucking loved Joffrey. I don't think the show was ever really the same. I don't know if I'm going to say that. That's a bold statement. The show was never the same after the Joffrey went out. But then, no, Ramsay was not as interesting as Joffrey. As a villain. Um, Cersei on her own without Joffrey uh, now I, w- I would have to say something bad about Cersei if I was going to say Joffrey was the best villain on the show that's the thing and I love Cersei so anyway yeah Jamie was great love the hound love the hound Rory McCann from uh, from Hot Fuzz right Roy McCann. But, uh, and I think the thing about Game of Thrones is I think even though I don't know if I'll ever watch it again. I definitely, right now, I don't think I'll ever watch it again. Um, even though it, it finished kind of, uh, downhill for the last couple of seasons. Um, I think especially as it gets closer to the I mean, I'll spit it out. The two those two boys are doing Star Wars, you know. So and Game of Thrones is the only thing i have ever really done. Well it's definitely the biggest thing they've done. So if we are to look for clues and when I say we, obviously I exclude you from this because you are anti speculation these days vehemently anti-speculation and I can dig it I respect that I'm probably gonna spit some of my speculation I shouldn't say spit I'm probably gonna get stuck into some speculation once in a while on these things but I get you saying why you're not I get your whole thing about not wanting to have any expectations don't guess what's gonna happen because then you have an idea in your head you can have an idea in your head of what you expect and then when you watch the film, if it doesn't match up, it messes you up. It can mess you up. I know exactly what you're talking about. And uh, it's obviously something that comes up a lot in regards to things like Game of Thrones and especially, especially The Last Jedi. So, um, <laughs> but you know, as we get, I'm excited. I'm still excited that these guys even though I feel like I shouldn't be <laughs> that um the Weiss Benioff and Weiss are in charge of some Star Wars. Because I don't know. I don't know. Now I'm gonna i I'm gonna if I keep on on this subject, I'm going to talk myself out of it because I'm not the most impressed with them as writers. I think they direct. I mean, that scene, that whole throne. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't in love with the last season, but that whole throne room scene I thought was perfect. Just about even the goofiness of um, of Drogon b- flaming the throne, you know instead of John, and I mean there were a lot of ways that could have been played they they sold there, real nice I thought there's that cool image of John walking up to the dragon under the snow and uh, apparently there's some um, discussion about whether it was snow or ash that was all over him, it's gotta be snow surely there wasn't that much ash falling that Drogon could have been lying under an ash blanket um you know Danny stepping up to the top of the steps and Drogon's wings and furling behind her like some sort of 80s uh, heavy metal album cover um, I think these guys have got away with images I think they, I think they can do a good scene I'm a little bit worried about whether they can put a story together although maybe it's unfair to blame them for not being able to tie up a story that even George R.R. Martin himself has spent eight years trying to, uh, was it eight years? No, six years? Something like six years since George Martin actually released a a book. So if George himself can't even get past I don't know, where are they up to? They're way back, aren't they? Way back in the story. So in some ways it seems a little unfair to blame these two guys for not really sticking the landing when old George himself has been stalled out for uh, George Martin has been stalled out himself (laughs) a million years so yeah I know I wasn't going to talk about Game of Thrones again but here we are talking about Game of Thrones talking about Star Wars there should always be some Star Wars in every episode at least a minute of Star Wars talk because it makes the world go round anyway stop yet again Robbie so in zero seconds we'll be right back into it we'll be right back into it right now we're back Robbie just like that and the other good news is we're about seven minutes from home and the end of this episode of On the Road with Richard, the kaleidoscopic caravan of carnage, caravan of chaos. <coughs> I should find that post again. Where well, you came up with a name. That was so good. I, uh, I think um, when we talked about your music that time, and you played those things, I can't remember if you ever, if you mentioned ever releasing those into the wild, any of them into the wild, sending them to a college radio station to see if they would play them or release them in any way. Um. <coughs> And if you had I would be uh, I was going to ask you, did you put a name on the project? Uh because one of uh, one of the things that uh I sent several of my demos to 95 BFM the Auckland University Student Radio Station this was back in the early 2000s when I was still doing this Malaki and <clears throat> One of them was playlisted, you know, one of them was actually put on the playlist into rotation and I think three others were played on a particular show, my favorite show at the time, The Rock and Roll Wire with Troy Ferguson, who would do like a show from 12 to 2 on Fridays and he would often play demos and you know, I mean, I don't know if you were ever a listener to Student Radio back in the day. I don't know why I keep coming back to music, Robbie. Even though you've made it abundantly clear that you don't give a shit about music right now. Apart from, uh, I assume, uh, John Williams. (coughs) And Elise Trow, of course. But (laughs) I don't know why. I guess uh, we keep coming back to it. And like I said, I think I said this on the recent episode, that I get it. I get you because from about 20, from about 2004 to 2014, I really, I really pulled away from music as well listening to it and making it. So uh, if I didn't say that on one of the recent shows, i so saying now I get you, I get you. Um, <clears throat> but I sent uh, these things in in various forms and I would one of the bands, my, the last band that I was in before uh, I stopped making music, we had a song, uh, a couple of songs playlisted as well, but I don't take as much credit for that because that was a band that was a bunch of my mates, their bass player left and they said, hey uh, Ben, can, we, can you come and fill in on bass with us for a bit until we find another bass player? I was like, F yeah, and these guys, I f***ing love this band, Frontside Grind, they're called cool. And I'd met them uh, years earlier, the guitarist, (coughs) the main man, front man, guitarist, singer Mike and the drummer Matt, they had been in a band called Lung Butter a few years before that. We would met them, played a few gigs with them and I was a massive fan of their music and uh, it was just cool being friends with people who you're also a fan of, you know, to be able to talk to, talk music to them and learn from them and just... uh, Loved what they did and then I ended up playing with them and it's like it was my version of uh, What's there my is it oh You know your favorite actor. What's his name again, Robbie your favorite actor in the history of uh, Films, what's his name again? Oh, that's right Mark Wahlberg He's in that movie where he's a ro- wait is, is it called Rockstar? I think uh, Yeah, who cares? Anyway, he got to play in the band that he was a fan of. And that was what it was like for me. I got to play bass with Frontside Grind, which sounds like a skate punk band name, given that it's the name of a skate move, but uh, we're actually more like a cross between, I don't know, Motorhead and Iron Maiden. Something like, actually, actually, I think there might be some on this USB stick. I'm pretty sure I've got some demos on here. Including front side grind. Do I? <coughs> Doesn't look like it. Doesn't look like there's any front side grind on this one. That's rude. Because uh Yeah weird. Must be on the other USB stick. But, so this is a list of the names of my different projects. Crabs, all in capitals with a question mark at the end. I'm Nice Man. You might know the movie that, uh, you might know where I got that title from. I'm Nice Man. You'll know exactly where that title came from. Uh, One of the, some of the songs that got played on there were a project called Love Slaves of the Amazons. I got that name from a movie. Love Slaves of the Amazons. And this is years before I went to the actual Amazon. And the Amazons, of course, were from Greece. So nothing to do with my Amazon. Uh, The song that got playlisted was uh, from a project called Muscular Beaver. And um, these were all, like I said, these were all demos. I used to, when I was playing with, um, my mad band was called Underground Locust Yard. You know, and I used to demo them up <coughs> into a basic thing and then I'd give it to the lads. So here's what I reckon. Learn these and then put your own flourishes on. And that was how we did a lot of our songwriting. Sometimes we would jam songs together, but mostly it was me writing what I could doing some basic beats because I, I was never anywhere near as good a drummer as our drummer Chase Nuts a drummer Nuts Nuts uh, who who, uh, by the way the man who gave me the nickname Bucho. we used to uh, after band practice we would go we would um, and we, when we were practicing back in the days when uh, we would sometimes practice at my mum and dad's house way back Afterwards, we would go up and we would put on. We'd, we'd often get a feed, go up to the fish and chip shop, get some fish and chips, come back and have a feed, have a couple of beers while, uh, and we'd put on one of three movies: uh, Boogie Nights. So that was a bit later on. No, that wasn't later on. When was that? Yeah, it was later on. This was. This was. Uh, I'm supposed to be with my brother. We still practice with mum and dad sometimes. When no, I'm forgetting everything, Robbie. We would un- we would uh, pro- we would practice at this uh, at an upholsterer's shop that my cousin worked at. And so you know, after hours, there was heaps of room in there. Move a couple of the cars out, set up, make all the noise we wanted to, in an industrial area. And then we would load up, and we'd drive it all back to my mum and dad's, where my brother was still living. And we would unload all together, and then we would, on the way back home, we'd get some uh, whatever fast food, and we'd uh, chomp it down while we would watch either Boogie Nights, Desperado, or Dead Man. For some reason, those three movies all Soundgarden's Motorvision VHS, although. Not at the time. At the end of band practice, you're not in the mood for more. More of that sort of noise, so we would wind down with one of those movies. Even, I don't know if you know Dead Man. You know Dead Man? Jim Jamoosh? Um Johnny Depp movie. From what was it 96? 97? Something like that. Anyway. And so uh And a drummer nuts who's uh Jason. jace he's a uh, large moody gentleman, one of my best mates, and he's, uh, he grew up with, um, we didn't grow up in the shop, but his mother worked at a video shop, worked in several video stores, you know, video rental places like Blockbuster. You know what video, rentals, video rental stores are like. So he uh, is a big old movie geek as well um he would give everyone nicknames of movie characters, generally based on, just generally based on who, what they were like. For example, my brother, Scotty, who's real good looking and a uh, um, bit of a hit with the ladies. He, he um, Jace called him uh, Dirk, but Dirk Diggler, funnily enough, from Boogie Nights. He called me Buccio because I was the leader of the band, basically. And Buccio was the leader of the, uh, you know, you know, Desperado. And uh, my cousin Willem, he's Chewbacca, because he's super tall and friendly. And uh, so he was Chewy. And Nuts was just Nuts, because he was Nuts. This is Jace, who gave us the nicknames. He'd he'd get his nickname Nuts from years before, just because he was, you know, one of those guys that would do eat things that most people didn't eat, do uh, crazy stunts, you know, we were, we were typical dumb young lads about town, we have on surf missions and do stupid things that I will uh, should never talk about on any sort of recorded media, even though we're obviously well past the um, statute of limitations. but. Uh, we never committed any crimes against anyone else. Let's say there. No one else got hurt. We were only risking our own lives, mostly. We did some dumb things in cars. Anyway, that's enough of that shit. How do we get down here, Robbie? How do we get down this tangent? Oh, music again. Yeah, that's right. Band names, group names. That Because the main band, my main band was called Underground Locust Yard. But when I... And that that was just random words that were chosen because it had the um, initials U-G-L-Y. Because uh, we had noticed that when (laughs) bands got written about in magazines, bands with long names, they would just shorten it to their initials. Anyway, that's boring, that's boring to talk about. But um, after that brand sort of, uh, we finished, Jace moved away, I didn't have a drummer, and I got asked to join Frontside Grind around the same time. And, um, so, I would, uh, but I was still writing uh, writing demos and what have you for what was going to be the next thing, which I uh, figured would, would find a new drummer, and I wanted to have a brass section. I wanted to have Scottie, my brother Scotty in it as well, who wrote better songs than me, and was just a better musician than me, for some reason just not as driven as a frontman or a band leader like I was to put stuff together my brother Scotty is like way more talented than me better looking than me funnier than me but not not a driven dude like uh, real cruisy laid-back doesn't have a lot of ambitions and so even though I was the less talented one I would write most of the songs just because I had a bit of a bit of the drive to it but uh, so while I was in Frontside Grind, I would still write demos for whatever the next project was gonna be and then I would send them up to BFM who would play demos as long as they were recorded well enough. I mean, this is loosey-goosey student Radio. I don't know what Cottage Radio is like in the States exactly, but you know, alternative and happy to play demos if they don't sound like complete mud. And Love Slaves of the Amazons, I think I mentioned. Muscular Beaver, that's what it was. The one that got playlisted was uh, I sent up there under the name Muscular Beaver, which was I got from a cartoon called Angry Beavers. Did you ever watch Angry Beavers, Robbie? I freaking loved that cartoon. And this was like, when I say loved, this is when I'm in my 20s. This cartoon came out. I think it was late 90s or something. Maybe even early 2000s. Angry Beavers was out. And man, I loved that show so much. This is when cartoons were coming out. They were more anarchic than we had when we were kids, you know. This wasn't Scooby-Doo. This was Angry Beavers. And uh, there was an imaginary superhero in their world called Muscular Beaver. So, for various reasons, I decided that would be a fun name. And I sent it up there on the Muscular Beaver. The Bastard Cupcakes was another project I had. One of those songs got played on uh, The Breakfast Show. Also, one of the songs from The Bastard Cupcakes got played get this Robbie at the end of the national primetime news <laughs> I have no I, I mean this is back in the days before you could r- rip stuff and put it on YouTube and it wasn't recorded I only found out about it because people um, told me about it afterwards I didn't de- I never saw it but what happened was See how uh, sure I can keep this story? My uh, The Breakfast Show at the time had a regular correspondent, like a media correspondent called Finlay McDonald. And his wife, Carol Hirschfeld, was on, was the newsreader. One of the newsreaders. On TV3. And Unrelated to this, when uh, actually I was at frontside grind uh, band practices, you know, you you know it is when four guys get together, you talk about all sorts of bollocks, and we were talking about who, hot um, who we found hot. Somehow Carol Hirschfield came up, who was uh, and me and Corey, the um, guitar player, were saying, "Yep, Carol Hirschfield is hot." And the two guys are going, "What are you talking about?" Because we're not. I mean. You know, she's not like, she doesn't look like um, Charlize Theron or uh, you know Rosario Dawson hot. She's not like that sort of hot, she's hot, like well, I guess MILF hot, to, to use a, uh, <laughs> to use MILF. So, um, so me and Corey were saying she was hot, the other two were saying she wasn't hot. I wrote these, I was writing these songs one time, I was messing around with this shitty old Casio tone keyboard. And uh, like I've always, uh, like I've said, you know, the lyrics are the last thing that I would ever come up with because they were the least important thing to me, the least fun part of the songwriting. So I was thinking, what should I write about? And I remember this conversation and I wrote this song called Carol Hirschfeld is Hot. And... Oh, you know what? You remember that video that I made? Uh, I I made a video, a music video, and I posted it on the forums for a song called, Titties Bounce. How You Like. That session, and these songs were all written in that one day. That session was the same one that the song, Carol Carol Hirschfeld is Hot, was written and I recorded it. And that song, um, I should find that uh, video again. Titties Bounce. (laughs) That song and another song, um, so put these three songs together. And The breakfast show had this demo, you could send in your demo and they would play it on the breakfast show under some, there was some contest and I think it would be like, uh, each day they would play a different demo and then they would decide what was the best demo and if you won you'd get a prize, I can't remember. I just sent them up. So I had written this song called, Come Here Shall Ray Joe Sarks when you say that all together, commercial radio sucks. It sounds almost like commercial radio sucks. Right? This is... I mean, I've owned up to the fact that I don't take lyrics that seriously, right? So this is... And commercial radio, you know, you can avoid it a lot. You can avoid it pretty easily if you don't want to listen to it. If you work in construction, Robbie Michaels, let me tell you, especially when you're a young fella and you don't get any say over what's on the radio you listen to a ton of commercial radio and so you get to have uh strong opinions about commercial radio and one of the reasons i love bfm was because it wasn't commercial radio and they didn't have like they had goofy funny silly ads and their djs weren't cheesy uh commercial radio djs and uh you know i mean it explains itself and so (laughs) Here's me trying to come up with lyrics, putting about two and a half minutes of thought into it. I wrote a song called Commercial Radio Sucks, but I don't want to be that direct, so I'll call it Come Here Shall Ray Joe Sucks. I don't know. It's dumb. Like I said, I put two and a half minutes into it, but that was the song that I sent in for the competition. So I thought, well, oh, BFM will appreciate this. It sounds, I mean, <laughs> it's made with like a keyboard that my brother had got in the 80s, and so like a, he must have got this in like 84, 85, the cheapest Casio keyboard you could get at the time, that you can hear on Titty's Bounce, and you can see on Titty's Bounce in the video, yeah I should definitely dig that video up again, I haven't watched that for a million years, but I would sort of write I would always do drums first, and then I would play around with the keyboard. In that session, I'd play around with the keyboard, and find some riffs or whatever. I don't know. This is boring. This is the boring part. The point is that I had this song called "Commercial Radio Sucks." I sent that into Hugh Sunday, who was the host for this demo competition. So, and I put on the B side for the two B sides. I had "Titties Bounce" on there, and I had Carol Hirschfelder's "Hot." And, I put that on there because, because I knew of the, because of the Finlay McDonald thing. And I thought, Hugh might pick up on that. And he might play it for Finlay McDonald, Carol's husband. And that's what happened. So, so I'm at work. I mean, this was, this was, this was awesome. I'm at work, you know, um, by this stage, I had already... I was already doing the thing where I would put, um, air, air buds in. I'm just taking a, uh, I said I was seven minutes from home. I had completely forgotten that I had one more place to go. So, uh, luckily, this must be about an hour and a half by now, Robbie. Not much longer, though. Anyway, long story short, Hugh, long story short, it's too late for that, Bucho. It's already long! Hugh played it for Finlay, Finlay thought it was, uh, he seemed to not. He seemed to enjoy it. I mean, it's a compliment to his wife. And uh, someone at TV Three, wife must have been listening to the show, they heard it. They got a copy of it off you, and I didn't know about any of this stuff until the next day. Until that night, actually, when I started getting texts, people saying, "Hey, is that you?" That song at the end of the news, that sounds like you. And I hadn't shared these songs with many people, so I guess, I don't know. And it wasn't my usual style of music either. It was this goofy Casio tone pop. And I would I wasn't writing anything like that before, you know. I was writing punk rock and hard rock and grungy sort of stuff, you know. Heavy stuff. But I, would, I got texts from a few people saying, Hey, I heard you on the news. Was that your song? And they played... Carol Hirschfeld is hot with a montage of um, photos of her from and footage of her from way back when she was uh, younger. So, with big 80s hair and shoulder pads and all that, you know. And so, it's sort of a tribute to her and uh, a <laughs> look at what we used to wear. <laughs> you know how it was. So, that's, um, that's probably my biggest musical claim to fame. I got played on the national national television the bastard cupcakes <laughs> so uh, what other ones did I have I can't remember the other names but so I would and so I see I had played every instrument on the thing but I sent it in as if it was a band you know I didn't want to put it under my name or whatever I like to send these things in as if they were from bands so this all sparked off from you coming up with the uh, carrot Caravan of Chaos or Caravan of Courage Thing, which if I was still playing in bands, I would steal that name for a band, a band name. In fact, in fact, ah, I was just going to say that we should start a band and uh, call it that, but that's a terrible idea. For one thing, it sounds like a lot of work. And I don't miss I don't miss music. I don't miss it. I had a dream about it two nights ago that I was in a band again. Weirdly enough, I don't know why. Robbie, I'm that back. that beeping is me backing up our driveway. I'm home. And, and uh I've got to almost nothing that I was going to feedback about and I have a feeling once I stitch this together it's going to be the longest episode of the Caravan of Chaos that there has ever been. So, look at that. I've got uh, about 15 points there and I've gotten to maybe the top three. Kylo Ren School Shooter. God damn it, what did I even bring that up for? That's a dark thing to finish on. Yeah, that um, that was something that uh, occurred to me, basically straight away, I think, uh, talking about it on that chat forums. Straight after uh, the movie, when we were talking about how great Kylo Ren was as a villain, it just hit on me that that's his vibe. Or at least it was his vibe in The Force Awakens. I mean, a Reikens. It's really still his vibe and uh, he's a lost kid. Like, he's really different from Beta. You know, I'm not people love to give JJ shit for. The Force Awakens being a, a ripoff of A New Hope and I've given him plenty of shit for that over the years, I mean. I like JJ, but, you know, we have that relationship where it's a bit of a—it's not. a... I wouldn't call it love-hate, but it's love-frustrate. Let's say that. I just made that up. love frustrated Runs with hate? I don't know. It doesn't really work, does it? Um, yeah, I don't know. It's just something I came up with at the time, and I think it fits what else is on this list. We'll just have to do this uh, next time we drive out. The thing about our uh, blaming Han for Carlos Fall... That's more about how, yeah, you went off on an interesting uh, tangent for that, about should we blame Hitler's parents for Hitler? It's... I'm, I'm not even saying that we should see Han as a failure. I'm saying that Han would have died feeling like a failure. That's what I'm getting more at. The, the reason that Han's story is a bummer now is because he died losing, he died failing. His mission was to bring Ben Solo back. He wanted Ben Solo back. That's what he wanted, and he failed. Even though he saved the galaxy once again by uh, destroying the Death Star, <laughs> the Star <Star-Callum> Base. <laughs> you know, he died a failure, stabbed by his own his own kid. That's what I meant by that. Not that he died feeling like a failure. Put it that way. Not that anyone else would have considered him a failure. I'm sure Leia didn't blame him. I'm sure Luke wouldn't have blamed him. Obviously, Ray and Finn and Chewie don't blame him, don't consider him a failure. But what I mean was his death plays as a massive bummer. And so, I think that's one of the factors that his place in the zeitgeist now, right now, is not the place it was before that movie. Because the Solo came out six months after The Last Jedi. And The Last Jedi were reminded very much of Han being gone we're reminded very much that uh, Kylo Ren is a badness and a, uh, reminded of Han's failure to bring him back from the dark side. And uh, it just wasn't the time for that film. If, if there was ever a time for the solo film, it definitely wasn't the time when, thinking of Han Solo, bums people out. Um, so hopefully that clears that up a little bit more. Yeah, I'll just come back to the rest later. No, it's my accent being able to enunciate better. I think I already said that at the start, didn't I? Didn't I? I'm starting to mumble now. I'm, get, I'm getting a little on uh, energy, Robbie. I've got to get, I'm sitting in front of the house. I'm gonna get out, I'm gonna do some stuff. And then later, when I go for a drive again, either this afternoon or tomorrow, we'll carry on with the rest of the points. So until then, this is your old buddy, Buccio? An anti-balas, And we are out In respect, sister, oh. strong brothers, strong brothers. Strong brothers.